welcome to episode 167 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is a podcast to help you study God's Word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I want us to look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as we continue to talk about how to study the Bible. Let's dive in. Over the past several weeks, we've been talking about Bible study and walking through some simple steps and helps for how you can study the Bible. Now, if you haven't listened to those, I would encourage you to go back and listen to this mini-series that we've been walking through over the past couple of episodes. And just as a reminder, we are taking Acts chapter 1, verse 8 and kind of using it as a, an example for how to walk through these three key questions, really four, that, that we kind of gave on how to study the Bible. Now, again, the first question we ask when we come to Bible study is, what does it say, which goes to this idea of observation? And so what I want to do is I want to take Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and begin to just kind of walk through some observations that I made when I was looking at this passage. Now, again, I've been encouraging you to look at this passage yourself and, and be diving in and making observations and coming to some conclusions. So hopefully you've already done that. And this is just kind of a, this will just be an edification and a deepening to your own personal study. So again, let me go through those questions really quick, just so they're fresh on our mind. Number one, what does the passage say? Which is again, observations. And you're going to spend most of your time there in the observation stage. The second question we ask is, what does it mean to the original audience? I'm not concerned about what does it mean to me at this point. I'm asking, what did the original author mean when he said this to his original audience? And then I added this third question, which is this idea of connection, which is, well, how does that concept apply to all of scripture? And then lastly, how do we apply that passage or what does that passage change? So we have the observation, interpretation, the connection, and then the application. So I just want to do this rather quickly with you on this podcast, looking at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So just to kind of set the scene, let's read Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So if I was opening up my Bible and this is the passage I was studying, I would start by asking the question, all right, well, what is going on in the passage? And again, I want to look for observations. And so I would pull out a you know notebook or a, my computer and I'd begin to make a bullet list of things I'm seeing in the text. So if you'd like to see my bullet list, I'm, I'll have this included in the show notes that you can download at deeperchristian.com forward slash 167 for episode 167. And I'm not going to read all the observations uh, just because that's going to take a long time, but I just want to pull out a few key observations that I think is important as we're coming to this passage. Uh, number one, just looking at the overarching context is we're noticing that okay, this was written by Luke and he's obviously writing to the early church talking about the historical account of, in this case, Jesus right before he ascended into heaven. And it's interesting, when you look at verse 8, my translation starts with the word, but. Now, I recognize that when you start with the word, but, it's actually a conjunction. And that means it's tying into something else. In this case, it is setting up a contrast. 
And what is the contrast that it's setting up against? Well, really, the only way to understand what's happening in verse 8 is to go back all the way to verse 6. Now, in verse 6, the disciples are asking Jesus a question, and they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, Jesus, interestingly, doesn't answer that question. He says in verse 7, well, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but, verse 8, and again, it seems like what's happening is here are the disciples asking Jesus, hey, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Hey, is this the time that you're going to go down to Rome, kick Caesar off the throne and set up Israel as a kingdom like the glory days of David and Solomon? And Jesus seems to be saying, no, you guys have kind of missed this. See, what I'm actually interested in is not what your focus is on right now. Let me give you my focus, which is verse eight. And so he's not answering their question, but really he's giving you the focus or the answer to the question they should have asked. So what you see then in verse eight, then is Jesus is in the middle of a dialogue. He's specifically talking to his disciples, which we know at this point would have been the 11 disciples for sure. Judas obviously went out and hung himself. So he's talking to the 11 for sure, but likely there's probably a whole bunch of disciples. You know, there's all these accounts of, you know, these 500 plus disciples who heard about Jesus, you know, um, that, that these 500 people saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. And, and the likelihood is you had a bunch of people who heard about the fact that the disciples were going to be meeting with Jesus and they were all rushing to this mountain to hear Jesus. So even though specifically in the passage, we have to conclude that it's the 11 for sure. We know that by extension, he's talking to his disciples and that, and it's interesting that the word you shows up three times in our passage, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Again, there seems to be a direct focus on the disciples of Jesus. Now, even though you're not included in this, we understand that we as disciples kind of by extension are included, but I'm kind of jumping ahead and going into some of the application. So let's stay focused, Nathan. <laughs> now, again, in the observation stage, one of the things that I just like to do is I just like to walk through the verse and just kind of see what is going on. Again, the first word is, but showing that contrast that we just talked about. And then I notice that in verse eight, there are two primary verbs. Now, if you don't know where to find this, or if, you know, if you're not good with grammar or you don't, you know, you've kind of blocked out your sixth grade grammar lessons, <laughs> which is understandable. You know, you can open a resource like blueletterbible.com and in there, it'll show you if you, if you t put the verse and you click the, the help button there, it'll show you an interlinear. It shows you kind of a breakdown of that passage in the original language. And you can see that there are two verbs. And again, you'll have to kind of work with a program like Blue Little Bible, which is free, but it shows that there are two main verbs. One of those main verbs is shall receive. And the other one is you shall be. So it seems like Jesus is saying two key things that the subject of this whole passage is Jesus speaking to the disciples. And he says, there are two things that's going to take place. Number one, you shall receive. Well, what am I going to receive? Power. Now it's interesting that, that you shall receive idea. Now, again, this may be going beyond where you may want to be studying, 
But when I look it up in Blue Letter Bible, it tells me it is a future indicative, which means that this is it's going to take place in the future. And it's an indicative, meaning it's a simple statement of fact. So this is enough for question. This isn't like, well, maybe I'll get it. Maybe I won't get it. Jesus is saying at some point in the future, which we know is fulfilled in Acts chapter two at the very beginning with Pentecost, but hey, in the future, and for the disciples, these seven to 10 days in the future, you will receive something. And what are they receiving? Power. Now that word power, when you look it up in the Greek, it's interesting. It's the Greek word dunamis, which has this idea of strength, power, ability, and it's not physical power, right? It's not, you know, it's not like muscles in that sense. We know that it's spiritual power because it's coming from the Holy Spirit. And interestingly, uh, this word in the book of Acts, it shows up 10 times and it's often translated power, sometimes miracles. Uh, Luke also uses this word in his, in his gospel 15 times and it's often translated mighty works or power or virtue. So it seems like there is something that I'm receiving, or I'm speaking as a disciple, but right, that the disciples are going to be receiving this power, this endowment, this grace, this emboldenment, this empowerment. There's this, there's a resource that is going to be given them via the Holy Spirit. Now, when does this power come? If you want to ask a good question. Well, when, when, when did the, when did the disciples receive this power? Oh, it's when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what you begin to find with this, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, is that kind of becomes the central focus of the whole verse eight. In other words, the two verbs, you shall receive and you shall be, right? All focus on this idea of you or when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, there's two things that take place. You shall receive power, that there's this grace, there's this strength, there is this ability that is given, but then you'll also be witnesses. Now, if you don't understand the Holy Spirit, this would be a great opportunity to pause your study here in Acts chapter one, verse eight, and go find out what you know about the Holy Spirit. In other words, just because you recognize something going on in scripture, don't just presume you actually understand what it actually means. In other words, you know, when, when you look at the fact that, okay, these are the disciples. Well, what do we know about the disciples? Well, when you come across the word of the Holy Spirit, what do we actually know about the Holy Spirit, right? We know that he's the third person of the Trinity, that it's not some, you know, force. It's, it's not some, you know, mystical kind of thing. He's actually a person. In fact, it's the very spirit of Jesus. And it is the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two that indwells the believer and empowers them for a living. Well, when you look at that as a whole, what you begin to realize is that the you shall receive power. I have no power or ability outside of the inflow or the resource of the Holy Spirit in my life. In other words, God is not giving me something. He is giving me himself, which becomes what I need for this life. It reminds me of the second Peter chapter one, verse three idea that in Jesus are all things that we need for life and for godliness. In other words, how are you going to survive in life? How are you going to do well in life? How are you going to live out the Christian life? How are you going to be godly in this godless world? Well, the only chance you have is Jesus. But what does that mean practically? Oh, you need his spirit 
living inside of you. And it is by his spirit, his resource, his ability that enables you to live out the Christian life. So Jesus is looking at his disciples and he says, hey, you are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That the Holy Spirit is going to be the grace, that empowerment within your life to do what I'm calling you to do. Well, what is he calling you to do? Well, Jesus clarifies and he says, you shall be witnesses. Now, again, that you shall be is in the future indicative. It's a simple statement of fact. It's about to happen in the future. And again, I think the order here seems to be important. That it's not, I go out and be a witness and, oh, I hope I have power, but that I will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me and I just won't be able to help myself, but I will go out and be a witness. It seems like that order in this passage becomes really significant. Now, that word for witness, if you look it up in the Greek, it's where we get the English word martyr. Now, a martyr is not just someone who dies for their faith, though that is true. When we look at the Greek word for this word martyr, it really has this idea of someone who is willing to stand for something and be immovable even in the face of death. So here you have this young Christian and the the taunting is, well, either recant or you'll be thrown to the lions, right? That they are willing to stand in a position of faith and confidence in their God, regardless if it means their death. It's kind of like what Jim Elliott used to say about, Lord, make me a crisis man or make me a decision man. That when someone comes into my life, force a crisis into their soul, that they're literally forced to make a decision that they're either going to buy in on Jesus or they're going to have to silence my voice. And that really is this idea of witness, that when we talk about being a witness, it's not just, well, yeah, I'll go share my faith with somebody, you know, around the block. It's yes, that's included, but it seems like this idea of witness, when you really get it, get to the heart of it, is that your life is so captured by a message and you're so unrelenting or refusing to let go to go of that message that you be willing to face death for that message. Now, maybe you'll go to death, maybe you won't go to death, but every witness, this martyr idea, is this emboldened, not by your strength. We understand that. Again, it's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be emboldened, right, for this declaration, this message, even in the face of death. So again, look at look what's going on in the passage. And again, if you want to, if you want to download the, all these observations, you can do that on the show notes. And I'm just trying to go through these relatively quickly. But Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he says, hey, look, the Holy Spirit is about to be poured out upon you, which we know comes as a fulfillment in Acts chapter two. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, two things are going to take place. One, you are going to receive power, this ability, this resource. And two, you shall be witnesses that you are going to be a martyr. Again, it doesn't mean you're going to die for your faith, though many of them did. Right, but that you have this message, and the message means so so much to you that you are unwilling to let go of the message, even if it means your death. Now it's interesting then that Jesus then says that not only will you be a witness, but you'll be a witness unto me in four locations. And Jesus gives you a list. Now, again, I look at this and I go, Oh, that's really fascinating that he's giving a list. And the question I would be asking is, well, why did Jesus include these four locations and is there any significance to the order in which they are given? And I think there is. Jesus says, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem 
and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So why would Jesus pick those four locations and why in that order? Well, again, if you don't know anything about these locations, you probably need to kind of look them up. So Jerusalem, what do we know about Jerusalem? Well, it's a city, right? It's where the Jewish temple and the headquarters of Judaism is there. Now, this is where the crucifixion and the resurrection took place. And interestingly, this is where the disciples are at this point, that Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's saying, hey, I want you to be a witness. Where? Africa? Jesus says, no, no, no. I want you to start right where you're at. And then he says, Judea. Well, what is Judea? Well, Jerusalem was a city within the province of Judea. It's kind of like a city within a state. So I live near Denver, Colorado, and Denver is a city within the state of Colorado. And in a similar sense, Jerusalem was a city within the this province called Judea. Now, the moment you go outside of that province, you have this other province called Samaria, which is kind of sandwiched between Judea and Galilee. And what's interesting about Samaria is that this was the place that the Jews absolutely hated. This is where the enemies lived. The Samaritans were the half Jew, half Gentile. And so in the mind of a Jew, hey, these, these were the, they were the polluted. They were the, you know, they were the dirty. They were the not pure or righteous Jews. So think about what Jesus is saying. Jesus says to his disciples, hey, I want you to start in Jerusalem right where you're at. And then I want you to expand that and go to the outer regions of this area. But then I want you to be willing to go beyond that into the next area beyond, which is, yes, even where the Samaritans are at. And even though you've always ignored them and though you've gone out of your way to not go to Samaria, that's actually where I want you to go. I want you to go to your enemies and be willing to lay down your life to share the message. Why? Well, because I've given you something and don't worry, the Holy Spirit is going to go within you and he's going to empower you to be the witness. But don't just stop at Samaria, go to the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, there should be no place where you are unwilling to go. Now, you'll start to notice that I've been blending in a little bit of interpretation with the observations. But when you start looking at just this bullet point list of what is going on in the text, the whole heart, the concept, the nugget, this interpretation that we're looking for, like what is this passage saying? Well, Jesus is communicating to the disciples that the Spirit of God is going to be poured out upon them at Pentecost. And when the Spirit of God comes upon them, that they are going to be filled with power and resource and ability, that they will be empowered to do that which he's calling them to do, which is not just to live a good Christian life secluded in their homes and kind of going about the country club thing that we have in modern days called church, that they were to go and be witnesses, that the spirit of God was going to empower them to be a witness and not just where they're at. Yes, start where you're at, but then go beyond, then go beyond, then go beyond. Even if that means you're dealing with enemies and people that you don't like or people who don't like you, that you should be willing to go to the uttermost parts of the world to proclaim the truth that I've deposited within you, says Jesus. Now, the third question we ask, if that's the nugget, if that's the interpretation, if that's the heart of the passage, do you see that in the rest of scripture? Well, yeah, that's actually all over the place, right? At the end of Matthew, Jesus says, hey, this is the great commission, right? That you are to go into all the world 
and make disciples. Mark says, hey, go into all the world, make disciples. In fact, I love if you go back to Genesis chapter 12, the blessing that God gave Abraham was, Abraham, I'm going to do something so amazing through your life that the world is going to want what you have because they're going to see me inside of you. Do you get to, you get this tone that all through scripture, God is wanting his people to bear the image, the demonstration, the life of God himself. In fact, that was the very heart of humanity even before the fall in Genesis chapter two, that when God made humanity, he made us to be image bearers, that the world would see him, that we would be a witness, a declaration of who God is in the world. And again, you can you could keep going through scripture and just see a ton of parallels and depth through that. And I would encourage you to do that. But for the sake of this podcast, let's just go to the fourth question, which is, well, what then does this change? If this is true and Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, hey, you need the Holy Spirit and you're going to receive power and be a witness. Well, what does that mean for me? Well, I realize that as a disciple, though Jesus was talking to the original 11 disciples, because Judas had obviously died at this point, that I'm included, that as a Christian, the only way I'm going to function is that I need the resource of the Holy Spirit in my life. That when you look at Acts chapter two, Pentecost wasn't just for a select group of people. That is the heart of Christianity, that the outside God has come to be on the inside. And now he wants to resource and empower my life for living. We call that grace. In fact, if you just read Paul's epistles, you see all over the place that the grace of God has enabled you, has not just saved you, but brings about the reality of the Christian life, that we live by faith. Well, why? It's because when we live by faith, the grace of God is our resource, our empowerment for living. So how does this apply to me? Again, the application may be very different for you, but what I begin to recognize for my life is that I desperately need the Holy Spirit, especially in the, the arena and the life that we are now living with all this COVID craziness and and the, the, the world is getting darker and darker, we need the Holy Spirit for life. I need his empowerment to function. And that the only way that I'm going to be able to live my life the way I'm, that I'm called to live is I got to have him, that I need his grace. I need his power and his resource in my life, which means I need the indwelling Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus living inside of my life. And I find that when I have him inside of my life, that I am called to be a witness. So am I being willing for God to use my life as a witness? Do, do I have such a grip on the truth of Christ that I'm willing to go even to my death for this message? Am I willing to lay down my life for the word of God? Am I willing to lay down my life for the gospel, just like the early church did? And maybe even six months ago, that probably seemed a little far-fetched, but <laughs> right now, it just seems like it seems like it's a possibility in our world, unlike ever before. And as the days get darker and we, you know, the persecution begins to increase for the church, are you willing to be a witness, a martyr for the gospel? Now, that doesn't mean you're going to die for your faith, but are you willing to stand for truth even when people are going to put death in front of you as the only other option? But be encouraged, you have the Holy Spirit. And one other application point that I find is interesting is so oftentimes we look at like four missions and we're like, well, 
well, yeah, if, if I could go to Africa or, you know, if I could go to China, well, then I could be a missionary and I could share the gospel. But again, it's interesting that Jesus looked at his disciples and said, well, start right where you're at. Start in Jerusalem and then allow that to expand you to, to Judea and then Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So if I was, again, if I'm walking, working through this Bible study, I would have to spend some time with Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. That yes, I know I have the Holy Spirit within me, but I need a greater resource. I need this empowerment in my life on another level, especially in this day and age. And I want to be your witness. I, I want to be willing to go to death if necessary for the sake of the gospel. So I'm going to need your Holy Spirit to bring this about. That Jesus wasn't saying this during easy times. There was a Roman occupation and it wasn't long after this whole thing that persecution broke out in the church and they were really driven out. And of course, most scholars say that it's interesting that when you look at Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, that's actually how the rest of the book of Acts unfolds. That it's like verse eight becomes the picture or the unfolding for the entire book. That it starts, Acts starts in the city of Jerusalem. You see them expanding to Judea. You Then you see them in Samaria. And then you see Paul specifically going out to the uttermost parts of the world, sharing this gospel. Well, are you willing is a great question. Am I willing? Well, I know that we kind of rushed through the Bible study process there, but I hope this was an encouragement to you to at least show you how do you walk through those four questions when it comes to a passage. Now, when I'm walking through a passage, it usually takes me more than 30 minutes, right? It just takes time to think and ponder and ask questions and dive into some of these, you know, these word studies or culture stuff and the, the, the context of a particular passage. Again, there is no rush. Don't feel like you have to run through a passage, but delight yourself in the study of the word of God. As we said at the very beginning, the whole purpose of Bible study is to know the author, Jesus, and to be transformed by truth. And so what if a study takes you a couple of weeks? If you're getting to know Jesus along the way and he is transforming you by the power of his word, the truth, well then that's great. We're not looking for how much stuff can we get through? We're looking for the relationship and the intimacy and the transformation as we spend time with Jesus. Well, I hope this mini series has been a blessing for you. And I hope it has encouraged you to not just read through scripture, even though that's important, but actually to dive into the depths of God's word. You don't have to be smart. You have the author living inside of you. So as you come to the word of God, allow him to expose, reveal, demonstrate himself to you through his word. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. For show notes of this episode, including an outline, a, a list of all those observations that I made, the ones I listed as well as the ones I didn't, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 167 for episode 167. And if you've enjoyed this podcast thus far, could you do me a huge favor and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts? Apple uses this as a way to put the podcast in front of other people. So the more star ratings and reviews and a particular podcast has, the better or the more they'll put it out in front of other people. So if you think others could benefit from this podcast, would you do me a favor and take 30 seconds and just go to deeperchristian.com forward slash podcast to leave a rating and review through Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. Well, no, I am so excited for you to study God's word. 
And until next time, know I am cheering you on and praying for you as you build your life around Jesus Christ.